Well, welcome this morning. It's our third, uh, third round of the third and final round of the generosity project. Uh, as we study what God has to say about generosity, um, Tyson asks, and I'm glad before we start to make a plug. This is in the bulletin. I don't remember if it got highlighted or not. Um, for the Christmas hymn sing tonight in Goodfield. So this is uh, just that. Uh, a hymn sing, a time of worship, holiday refreshments. I think Jared Bergen's going to talk a little bit. So promises to be a sweet uh, time of fellowship over there. It is, again, tonight, uh, 6 o'clock at the, at the church in Goodfield. So if you can make that, I'm certain that it will be uh, a blessing to you. So, All right, again, back to the generosity project. Um, Thankful to Chris for his uh, insightful teaching last week. I always hate to have to follow him because I feel like he's a really good speaker. Um, but so it goes. So today we're going to talk a little bit about generosity and the gospel, how those uh, two things go together, and then try and wrap up with kind of some practical thoughts about how to uh, put generosity principles into shoe leather, so to speak, how we put those things in practice uh, in our life. So ask God to bless our time and then we'll get started. Father, we are grateful to know that that you are God, that you are the creator, that you hold this world and everything in it in your hand. So you see us here. Uh, You know each person sitting in the chairs here. You know their financial situation. You know what their bank book looks like, so to speak. And so I pray for your spirit to move in us today. Speak to each one of us as we listen to, listen to some words and listen to some scripture and think about the, the topic of generosity, I pray that you'd move in each one of us the way you would have uh, move in us. Teach us things. Uh, make something clear that maybe wasn't clear before. Uh, we desire to participate in, in the great work that you're doing in this world. So speak to us today that your spirit would be strong, help us to pay attention. And we look forward to what you will teach us. We know that you are a God who always keeps your promises. So we thank you for that and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to start this one. Um, I've got two, uh, two of the videos, the last two uh, that are in the curriculum. And I'm, I'm just going to play them and, and we'll watch through. I feel like they're really good in terms of thinking about how the, this first one is thinking about how generosity with our resources um, fits into God's kingdom. We've been talking about uh, over the last couple of weeks, thinking about the concept of generosity and how God moves in our hearts. And now this one is going to um, point out a little more uh, just the way that that the gospel works and the work that God is doing in this world um, and how that, how we have the chance to be involved in that. So they're going to reference in this, uh, in this video, the, the Bible passage in second Corinthians eight, uh, eight and nine. So if you have your Bible and want to have it open, they don't spend a lot of time reading, but if it, it'll give you some context of what we're talking about. Um, and then once the, once that video is over, I'll come back and pick out a few other things from that, from that second of section of scripture. So if you could play number five. I try and focus on, on things that have got specific outcomes for people, not for animals. I could care less about donkeys. Um, something I'm really passionate about is animals, so I've been vegetarian my whole life. So It is tricky, it's hard. I guess you've got to look for the ones that give the biggest impact. And preferably uh, the sort of charities that are open to measurement of success. 
and, and hopefully that are not spending too much of their money trying to persuade people to give them money. I think you just have to go by what's in your heart and uh, what you feel in yourself um, because there's needs out there and we can't help everybody I don't think and that's a frustrating thing. We've been talking a lot about generosity and hopefully you've got the idea by now that being generous as one of God's people is not just about money. It's about being generous with everything that God has given us in our lives and that that's a basic facet of the Christian life, to be radically generous. But when it does come to being generous with our money, how can we avoid being just random or haphazard about that? Does the Bible give any guidelines for our financial generosity of how and where we should be generous? Well, it does. And the place we're going to start is in perhaps what is the purple passage about generosity in the Bible, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. Well, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is one of the longest passages about generous giving in the Bible. Paul was writing to the Christians in Corinth to urge them to be generous givers. They seemed to be reluctant to contribute to a collection he was organising for poor believers in Jerusalem uh, and Judea. And he wrote to them and he told them about the Macedonians who had already contributed to this collection. And the Macedonians had given even though they themselves were extremely poor. Uh, even though they had very little themselves, they begged for the privilege of being involved in uh, giving towards these poor Christians. Um, and they'd given abundantly more than they, they had. So they were a model of generosity. They gave out of their love uh, for their brothers and sisters in Christ. It modelled their unity with those who were very different to themselves. And they, they wanted to be partners in the work of uh, the gospel. And Paul wants the Corinthians to learn from and echo their generosity. So Paul tells them what the Macedonians have done, and then he lays out for them the principles of generous giving. He wants them to give out of joy rather than simply out of duty. He reminds them that it's a privilege to give. He wants them to give out of love, and he reminds them the great love that they've received from God, the grace they've received in the Lord Jesus, who was willing to give up the uh, glory and riches of heaven to become poor uh, for them. He wants them to be willing to give um, by choice rather than being compelled to give. So he wants them to be willing givers. And he wants them to be cheerful givers who will be delighted to share what God has blessed them with, uh, with uh, others. But the one thing that Paul doesn't tell them is how much they should give. So he lays out the principles of giving, but he then tells them that it's up to them to choose before God how much they can give uh, themselves. There's no rule as to how much they should give. Instead, he uh, uh, wants them to take into account the need of the uh, poor believers in Jerusalem and Judea. He wants them to bear in mind how much they have. Each is to give according to how much they, they have. But it's for them to make the choice to participate in this privilege uh, of giving. So Paul is uh, uh, writing to these Corinthians who are reluctant givers, urging them instead to be cheerful givers. And he gives them the, that example of the Macedonians, the example of Jesus' own generous giving, so that they will respond with love and with joy, uh, willingly giving uh, what they believe is right before the Lord. But how counterintuitive um, and yet how gospel-shaped is the Macedonian approach? That is, I think we're ingrained into thinking, you know, first we look after our responsibilities and then we save so that we can uh, buy the things we want. And after that, if there's any left over, um, that we can give. But really, uh, the Macedonians uh, reversed that priority. So rather than asking, how much do my wants require, after which I can think about giving to you, they asked first, how much do your needs require before I think about fulfilling my wants? Um, it's very challenging, it's subversive, and I think it's a great witness to those who live around us. Uh, to think that my money is first here for others, and then only after that for my own wants. And when you think about it, though, uh, it actually matches with the shape of the gospel, doesn't it? Um, and in fact, Paul uses this uh, very metaphor in these chapters to say that Jesus, though being rich beyond belief with the glories of heaven, left it all, emptied himself to become a servant. Uh, he became poor so that we might become rich. And that gospel shape of generosity, Paul says, is what drove the Macedonian Christians to give out of their extreme poverty. And it should drive us out of our extreme wealth to have exactly the same attitude. 
So the gospel of Jesus drives us to be generous, but it does more than that. It also shapes our priorities and attitudes as we seek to work out where and how to be generous. Because there are so many needs in the world and this can be confusing. Where do we direct our generosity? The answer lies in the scriptures and it lies in discovering what God is doing in this world and what our part is in God's plan. Now, one of the amazing truths of the gospel is not only does God save us by his grace, but he gives us this enormous privilege of being involved in his work in this world. Uh, and what is that work that we're involved in? God is drawing people to himself who are being redeemed by his son, transformed by his spirit, and then set apart to serve him for all of eternity. And the, the Apostle Paul, it's incredible in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he actually describes him and his colleagues as God's fellow workers. You think about that for a second, that the God of all the universe, that when we're involved in the ministry of the gospel, that we are working alongside him. In Philippians, it says that we are partners in the gospel together. It's sort of like being in a business enterprise and I guess if you're in a business enterprise and you're investing, you'd be looking for long-term returns. And like, what are the long-term returns that we're hoping for and that we're praying for and that we're working for? Uh, what we're actually working for and praying for and giving for is that actually people would be welcomed into God's kingdom, that they would be saved by the Lord Jesus and that they would then be set apart to serve him for all of eternity. And we get to be part of that great work together. Now it's only that perspective that will radically change the way that we think about generosity and as we do something about it. Uh, when we give our gifts, including our money and our very selves, we are partners in the gospel together. Like we are part of God's great work in this world. We are involved in the central thing that God is doing, the central work that he is doing in this age, in this world, as we await the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like when we serve at church. Like we're not just going on a roster. We're not just doing our bit. We're not just volunteering in that sense. We're actually partners in the gospel. Or it's like when you're sharing the gospel with a friend or you're reading the Bible with someone, whether they're a Christian or they haven't yet put their trust in Jesus, whether you're encouraging them or challenging them, we're actually partners in the gospel. We're involved in God's great work. When you give financially to support the work of your local church or another gospel ministry, you're using your worldly wealth to invest in God's heavenly kingdom. You're storing up treasure in heaven that can't be destroyed. And that is the work that we get to be involved in. And it's only that perspective that is comprehensive enough or large enough to do justice to the work that we're involved in and that we're partnering in together. Here's a very encouraging story of gospel partnership. It's between Jason, who is planting a church in a poor area of London, and his Christian friend, Tim. I've known Tim for some years. We used to, in fact, go to the same church uh, in London. And over those years, uh, Tim had made his way in a financial sort of career, financial in industry. And as his faith had grown, he'd seen the need to be generous with his money as he could. And uh, over time, uh, I was sent out to start a new church. And it, the church was in quite a different context, in a poorer area, more deprived. At university, there were a number of people I was very good friends with, uh, all of them very bright, very, very able in many, many ways, uh, who gave up a huge amount personally to go and work uh, full-time in various churches. Um, it's something that I thought about, but I didn't feel was right for me. And from then on, I guess I've really felt that it would be a pleasure and a joy to support people like them. The difference it's made has been quite significant. Tim uh, knew that we were involved in trying to mentor uh, young people so that they would continue in schooling, 
so that they would begin to be leaders in their communities, but even more than that, that they might be leaders in churches, God willing. And what Tim did was come alongside and try and sponsor particular uh, children. I feel like Tim's come alongside as a patron, really. He's someone who is really passionate about the work that, that we're doing as a church and wants to walk alongside me, my wife and the team on a, on a kind of day-by-day, month-by-month basis. He, he's always wanted to know how he can pray and his wife can pray specifically for us. He's even helped at a practical level of trying to organise our charity status and things like that. And it feels like he's a real partner in, in ministry, even from a distance. There's been times when he's known my wife has been finding things hard and he's just provided money so that she could spend a couple of days just getting some, some a break. And we're really, really grateful for that kind of partnership, knowing what we're doing, helping us to keep the work going and wanting to really look after us as ministers in the gospel. My wife and I, we like to be pretty targeted in terms of the ministries that we support. Obviously, our, uh, our primary uh, giving is to our church. Being targeted in the ministries that we support helps us to be more committed over the long term, to support them in prayer, uh, and on a longer term basis that ultimately helps you to be an effective gospel partner and to build the relationship into one in which you can be encouraged by seeing the progress of that ministry over time, uh, but also those involved can be encouraged by your ongoing commitment over a longer period as well. That desire that Tim has comes from God. Um, here's someone who God has changed so that his desire isn't just to use his money for himself, but to use it to bless others, and particularly so that they might know the good news of the Lord Jesus. It's been wonderful to see that, particularly as he works in an industry that is so um, about getting more money for yourself. To see that he's standing firm as a Christian and saying, because Jesus gave up so much for me, I'm prepared to give up for him as an overflow of uh, my love for him. It's just been wonderful to see. So just a couple thoughts about that, and then we'll, we'll move on. Um, I don't know if any of you caught the, the reference through his accent to the purple passage. I had to listen to it a couple times because I thought he was saying the perfect in an accent that I couldn't understand, but he was actually saying purple. So I had to look it up, and if you look it up in the dictionary, it means an elaborate or excessively ornate passage in a literary composition. So he's talking about this section in 2 Corinthians as being, as being an elaborate or ornate collection of words. And it really is that. If you get into it and, and read, it is, it is much more than we had a collection up here, some poor people gave, that was nice, let's move on. He spends a lot of words uh, talking about it here. And I feel like God is really inspiring Paul here to make a, a significant point about about generosity here. So if you follow in, in 2 Corinthians down through chapter 8 and then into chapter 9, he's still talking about uh, this collection for Christians in Jerusalem and how it, uh, what happened with these people in Macedonia and how it applies to the, the folks in the Corinthian church. I just, I love the thoughts, and I'm going to read some of this here in, in verses 6 to, to 15 of chapter 9. There was a mention in the video about how amazing it is that God has chosen us to be the instruments, his instruments in furthering the gospel, that, that his actual means is for his people to go out and um, share the gospel with others. And these verses carry along that same, that same theme. So this is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or even under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And I just, I love the, I love the feeling of it, right? This isn't, this isn't a passage that says, you better give your money or God's going to hate you. A curse will come on your house and your plants will die and your toes will turn black, right? That, it's, it's, not, it's not that kind of encouragement. Um, and at the same time, there's nothing in it of the, right, of the, the, the line from the, the monk Tetzel, right? When a, when a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs, there's none of that. You're not buying special favor with God. This isn't give your money and God's going to check off the list and you're going to be a special person for him. Um, as a matter of fact, if, if you are... If you are not a believer, even if you are, and, and you are giving, whether to this church or any other cause, because you think that it's going to earn your salvation, stop. Please stop. Even if it's here, even if you're giving your money to Newcastle, if in your heart you believe that this is somehow buying you some kind of merit, just stop. I mean, God is abundantly clear that he does not need your money. This is the God who created the entire world with a word. He does not need your guilt money. So don't do that, please. Hear what this says, right? This, if we look at this section of verses in 6 to 15, this is, this is much more like an excited encouragement of, come on, guys, look what we can do. You get the opportunity to be involved in spreading the news, the most important thing in this planet, the most important thing in this world is the eternal future of the human beings that are on it. And you get to be involved. You get to be, God, God has asked this weak bunch of people, me included, to be involved in it. You can support that. And, and because it's God's idea and he's the omnipotent creator of everything, he promises he will be responsible for the results. He will be responsible for supplying you with what you need to be involved. And what you get to have is the joy of doing it, of, of being able to participate in what he's doing. You were made, you were made as a human being to experience your deepest joy when you are in deepest communion with the God who made you. And we spend, some of us, myself included, we spend lots of time trying to find joy in lots of other places. And, and if this book is true, and I believe it is, our deepest joy is knowing this God, understanding the depth of the salvation that we've been given and appreciating what that is and who that God is. I occasionally hear uh, a complaint you know, along the lines of, well, the church just wants my money. The church is just after my money. And I hear it and it makes me want to say, you know what? You've missed the point and I think the wrong way. God doesn't just want your money. He's not stopping there. He wants your whole life, all of it. I mean, this isn't, you, you pitch your 10% in the bucket and then you head off to the rest of your life and do whatever you want. 
God's inviting you to give the whole thing to what he's doing on this planet. He's not stopping with your money. He wants everything you do, every minute of your life, to be tuned into what he's trying to do on this planet. Will it touch your money? It certainly will. But it's not going to stop there. It's going to go even deeper than that. So that's the, the, as we think about the gospel and think about how we can interact with it, um, I think it's good for us to, to, as we are amazed by the gospel, which we should be, that that takes us into some, some deep thinking about, about how amazing it is that we get to be involved with it. That of all the things that you can accomplish in this life, of all of the things that that you could have your name associated with, to think that the God of the universe would pick you and he would pick me, uh, to be the people who would share the gospel is, uh, it's deep thoughts. So I'd encourage you to, to spend some time um, thinking about it. So on to some application. We talked about a lot of principles. Uh, let's move on to some practice. And so I've got another uh, video here of these guys, their last one as we think about uh, moving from principle to practice. Well, we're coming towards the end of the Generosity Project. But of course, it's not the end, it's just the beginning. Because the last thing we want to do is to be like the fool of Matthew 7, who heard the Word of God, but then failed to put it into practice, failed to do it, and found his life collapsing around him like a house built on sand. We've made a very good beginning. We've heard challenging words from God about what generosity really is, and what it means to live a radically generous life. But now comes the vital step of putting that word into practice in each one of our lives. And that's what this final part of the Generosity Project is about. To get started on that, let's call to mind all the challenging and important ideas we've looked at in the Generosity Project so far. So he created everything in love. Everything we have is a gift of God's amazing grace. He is the definition of generosity. You can be thankful that God is our generous creator and provider. I can have faith trusting that the same God who so generously provided for me and us in creation will continue to provide for me into the future, right into eternity. Instead of receiving and then reflecting and returning God's good gifts, we receive them but then try and hold them in for ourselves. And that's why greed is such a dangerous and serious sin. And greed and the love of money was so destructive, it, it, it had changed me. But the beautiful message of the gospel is that we're not left in our own natural state. God generously sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to live the life that we should have lived, to die the death that we should have died. It changes externally, if you like, our status before God, but much more than that, the Holy Spirit changes us internally as he massages these gospel truths deeper and deeper into our heart. The result is inner transformation. So people who are by nature inward-looking, selfish takers are turned more and more outwards to God and to others as loving givers. So we're to be generous in using everything that God has blessed us with. Even our house can be used as a service for others. People would come here into their house, inviting you for dinner, for lunch, for coffee. Those moments are crucial, but you can't put value on, on them. We too should be marked by faithfulness and love in absolutely every area of our lives, and that includes how we handle our money. And so there is that kind of pull that we will all have, I believe, um, whether we're business people or not. You know, money is a draw. Uh, but we've got to hold it lightly. Uh, when we give our gifts, including our money and our very selves, we are partners in the gospel together. And it feels like he's a real partner in ministry. He's always wanted to know how he can pray and to really look after us as ministers in the gospel. I think Christians just have a different level of motivation for being generous. It's kind of like we have this wellspring of life in us that bubbles over and we can't keep it in. That's the impact of our generous God's change in our lives through the greatest gift that's ever been given, the gift of Christ dying for us. 
Well, we've learned a lot about generosity during the Generosity Project. What it is, why we do it, how it spreads, what prevents it. But all that we've learned is really pretty pointless if we don't put it into practice. And here are some suggestions from the Bible teachers we've been meeting throughout the Generosity Project on how you can build generosity into your life as one of God's people. Well, I think many Christians want clear rules as to how much they should give, but I don't think that's what we can offer them. That's not how giving works in um, the Bible. Uh, we are to choose how much we should give um, out of motives of love um, and generosity. So there aren't fixed rigid rules that we can give people to tell them how much they should give. So I think the starting point with encouraging people to be generous is to encourage them to have a fresh and renewed love for the Lord, appreciation of the generosity that God has shown to them. So their own personal spiritual life, if they live a life of gratitude, recognising how blessed they've been, then that will motivate them to be willing to be generous with what God has uh, given to them. I mean, one spiritual, practical thing that I need to do myself is remember the words of Jesus when he says something like, uh, is not life more than food or the body more than clothing? In other words, eternity is very, very long and this life is very, very short. And if that's true, then we should live for eternity. And that changes the way we think about our resources and our money. And Jesus is so clear that we should be generous with it. So, so it's a spiritual thing about remembering the priorities of life. In terms of practicalities, I think it's very important that Christians know how much they have and budget carefully and make decisions that they stick to about how they're going to be generous with what God um, has uh, given them. So many Christians aren't aware of how much they have coming in. They don't carefully work out what that's to be given to. Um, and I think as Christians, it's our responsibility to make our giving um, the first call on our resources. So I think it's really important for Christians to weigh up how much they can give, given the income that they have, the demands that there are on them, and then to make sure that they put that first. Otherwise, they'll find that other priorities and possibilities in life will crowd in. Because there's so many things I could give money to. So it helps me to work out, well, how much proportion am, am I going to give and think about all the different options and make decisions rather than just going with emotion when I hear about some appeal. There's so many good things planted and the same how I spend my time. There's so many areas in which I could serve. Give time to thinking, praying, maybe talk with others and then make decisions rather than respond on emotion. And then in terms of practicalities, for us, it's about reviewing our giving and literally putting a date in the diary when we're going to review what is it that we gave last year? What are we going to do this year? And for us, we, we try and say, can we go better than we did last year? We can't always do that, but that's our aim, to always go better than we did the year before. It's like when you go to the bank and you're perhaps negotiating to get a loan. Uh, one of the things that you really ought to think about doing is you know how you're meant to sort of itemise all your expenses, and insurance and school fees if you have kids and car loans and all sorts of things? One of the things you might want to say is, this is how much I give. I think it's very helpful for Christians to work out what it is they need. We're all tempted to um, have more for ourselves than we need. And I think John Wesley here is an example. He had at a certain point in life had an income and he said that um, uh, even if his income increased over the years to come, he would continue to live on that income that was sufficient and give the rest away. And I think we're more likely to be generous if we've decided what it is that we need. And then we see everything else as something from which we're capable of, of giving um, to uh, others. I would be very hesitant to set, tell someone, no, 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 don't give to a secular charity. Because if the secular char charity is caring for the poor and looking after people, that's a great thing. If you can support it, by all means do so. And yet at the same time, most likely there's a bunch of non-Christians that are going to support that charity as well. With very few exceptions, a non-Christian is not going to support the work of the local church or Christian mission agencies. And yet they are the ones who uniquely are equipped with what you need to meet someone and love someone to care for their spiritual needs. And so just practically, um, I would always seek to advise someone, do what you can as you are able to care for someone's both spiritual and physical needs. 
but consider prioritizing their eternal needs over their temporal needs. And that might look like choosing to support your local church and Christian mission organizations as a first priority before you give yourself to supporting uh, Christian charities or even non-Christian charities. Some, someone once said to me, you're only really giving when it costs you something. And that can be quite a scary thing to do. And so I often encourage people, just do it. And it can be a scary thing before you do. You're, you're nervous about it. Can I really afford this or that? But once you've done it, then you get a taste and you realize God is faithful. And assuming we haven't been rash, God provides for our needs and you can keep on doing it. And more and more, what I'm praying for is that people will discover that the joy of giving, but it only happens once we start doing it. Well, with all that you've learned about generosity and with those practical suggestions about how to build generosity into your life, it's time to think about and commit to some practical action to make generosity more a part of your life. And as you do so, my prayer is that this will be just the beginning, the beginning of a more generous life, a life that imitates and draws its strength from the incredible generosity that God has shown us in the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. I was really fascinated in this. He didn't talk very much about it in the, in the video, but this story about John Wesley, you maybe have heard of him before. He was a, a speaker and a theologian back in the 1700s. I want to actually read you the, the story out of the book. In 1731, Wesley began to limit his expenses so he could have more money to give to the poor. He records that one year his income was, it's in pounds, but 30 pounds, his living expenses, 28, so he had two pounds to give away. The next year, his income doubled, but he still lived on 28 pounds, and he gave 32 pounds away. In the third year, his income jumped to 90 pounds. He lived on 28, giving 62 away. Wesley believed that with increasing income, that Christian's standard of giving should increase, not his standard of living. He began this practice at Oxford. He continued it through his life. And even when his income rose into the thousands of pounds every year, he lived simply and quickly gave his surplus money away. And I realize that that kind of charity is, it's certainly beyond me. It may be beyond um, some of you here, but I think that the thought process is a really good one. That for us to think about whether perhaps God's increase of our income, God's increase of our resources, that the way that he's working uh, through our work and through our circumstances isn't maybe to invite us like 2 Corinthians 9, deeper into gospel ministry with him and, and not for um, using it to, to increase our lifestyle that we'd see the world like he does and join in that adventure of taking the gospel to the world. So how do we put this into effect? Uh, I'm gonna throw out just a couple of thoughts from the book. I know there's more than this, but just a few to get us started. Uh, so the first, the first one is knowing what you have, and they, and they reference it a little bit there. Um, I am I'm an accountant by trade and a nerd by nature, and so, uh, numbers and budgets and that kind of stuff is its kind of the way I think that stuff comes natural to me. Um, I know for some of you, the word budget is a bad word, and so I won't use it anymore. We'll use some different words, not to make you uncomfortable. Um, to be serious, though, I think it is important as Christian people to know what you have, to, to be a people of all of the responsibilities to live uh, a measured life that God calls us to in the Bible we need to understand what our financial situation is so that we can make a plan with it. One of the, the men in the video mentioned that often Christians who don't make a plan uh, find that other spending priorities crowd out their giving. I think last week Chris said the same thing and maybe a little different. Uh, finding yourself with too much month at the end of the money. Um, but just the thought that um, we need to know the first thing to know, and, and 
Another guy mentioned it there about going to get a loan. There's all sorts of reasons that we have to know these things. And we do it, right? You don't walk into the bank and say, you know, I really don't have anything with me. What can you do? Um, Don't do it because I can tell you what they'll do. Um, You won't get much, right? You will not leave with much. And this area of our lives is as important as that to make sure. Now, I'm not saying you have to have a lot. God knows exactly what you have. So it's just a matter of us understanding what those things are and confronting seriously how much income he has blessed you with and the kind of lifestyle that that you're comfortable um, before the Lord uh, having. So I have a personal story that I think relates here. Um, So when I first got out of college, I wasn't married. Um, I had a, a decent accounting job. You know, I'd been a standard issue, broke college kid before that, and so um, coming out where I actually had a, somebody paid me every couple of weeks, it was really nice. I, I, it, was, it was more than enough. I didn't really pay a lot of attention to it. I didn't have extravagant tastes. Again, I wasn't married, so I didn't have a lot of responsibilities. So I didn't pay a lot of attention to where the money went. There was just always enough, and, and it was okay. So I was a Christian at that point, and I was, I was giving sort of whenever the feeling hit, like one of those uh, men said, you know, it, when there's an appeal, you thought, oh yeah, I guess I should give to that. And I don't, I don't exactly remember, but somewhere in my travels, I heard a, a Bible teacher talking about generosity and giving, and, and he said something along the lines of, the, the real measure of what's important in your life is what your bank book says. It's not what you say, it's not what you tell people, it's not the image, that it's, it's whatever you actually do with your money. And it got me thinking about my giving habits and I, so I, just started, I decided to start keeping track. So that's the first time in my life really that I've kept track of my income and expenses. And I would love to tell you that what I found was that I was a remarkably generous person who loved people and gave lots of money. And that's not what I found. That's not what I found at all. Um, what I found was that I was in a place in my life where there were lots of, lots of church meetings and, and sort of things where there were appeals. And every time I heard one, I would think, that's a great cause. I want to give money to that. So I'm old enough that this was before you could pull your phone out and actually do it. So you had to get a slip and go home and get a check and send the money in. And, and most of the time I didn't. So as I sat there, listened to the appeal, I would give myself credit for thinking, that's a great cause. I should do that. But my bank book didn't, didn't bear it out because most of the time feeling left. By the time I got home, I forgot about it and I didn't do it. So I I only say that um, to me first and then maybe to some of you, feelings are not a reliable indicator uh, of reality, that it's important for us to know um, where where the income goes, where the expenses go, um, So, which leads us to the next point, which is planning to give. So once you have an idea of how your income and expenses line up, it's time to pray about plan. As commerce has gotten more and more technologically advanced, it is easier to give, uh, for sure. It is is much easier to give to all sorts of causes. Um, Unfortunately, it's easier to spend than it ever has been before. I was just thinking about this. Not that long ago, if you were sitting in your house and you thought, I would like to spend my money on X, you would actually have to get yourself up off the couch and you would have to go get in your car and you would have to drive to wherever it is so that you could hand over the long green to get whatever it was that you needed. You don't have to leave the couch anymore, right? I mean, it is right there. You're sitting on the couch thinking, you know what, it'd be nice to have your 15 seconds from that thing being on its way to you. Now, you can give that fast too, right? You can give that fast to... to charities or, or to a church. But all of that to say, it's critical to have a plan. You've got to have a plan or, the, or there will be no money left. There just won't be because there's lots of things asking for it. So we need to think, I think the lessons of this book are we need to think deeply about your passions, about what you're excited about, where you're gifted, and decide where God would have you to be involved 
It's maybe not the same thing for, for all of you. Um, right? God, God is a sovereign, omnipotent God, and he will do what he will do in the world. It is, it is right? the, the picture of a God who's wringing his hands, thinking, boy, I sure hope people tithe this week. Right? That's, that's not him. That is not him. It is more like, please don't miss the opportunity this week. He thinks, I have such joy for you to experience. I have such a life-fulfilling experience if you would get in the mindset of seeing what I'm doing here. And so, he, again, he promises to supply the resources to bring the joy. Um, and I love that example in the video of the, the preacher and his friend of of, you know, God hasn't called us all to be vocational preachers, but a lot of us work at professions you know, to earn the money to direct toward his work. And so, right, one way to redeem, redeem the technology that can often take your money is to um, use online scheduled giving to things to make sure that the giving isn't limited by my ability to remember, which is not very good. Uh, I love that, again, that situation of if you caught what he said, he said, I like to make sure, my wife and I like to make sure our, our giving is targeted because then we can really be connected to it. We can pray for it. You can know the people who are involved in it. Now, again, that's, God has all kinds of people involved in all sorts of things. And so we're not all going to be connected to the same person, but find the things that energize and motivate you um, and let those be the places that direct where your funds go. Next one, planning to be spontaneous. I know this sounds like a, an oxymoron, but I don't think it is. Um, God will often place opportunities in our path, uh, the places we go, uh, benefit dinners, whatever it is. There'll be opportunities that show up often when we don't expect it. And part of planning, of, of knowing where we're at, I would encourage you to think about planning to have funds to do those things. So that when you're in a situation where something like that comes up, uh, that you're in a place where you know, um, I already have a plan for that. There is money available uh, for me to give for that. So finally, I think the last piece is, let's keep talking about it. I mean, when we started at the beginning of this, it, it, it's called a project on purpose. Um, that it's an ongoing project, a part of God's sanctifying work in your life, a part of us growing more deeply connected to what God is doing in this world. Um, in our American culture, talking about money is taboo. We just don't do it very much. I, I was, and I was thinking as, as I was studying for this, even, even in our closest circles, and I don't know if this is the same in every other culture, um, but I suspect you don't know what the people in your life group earn, give, right? It's just, it's something we don't talk about. And I would, I would place before you that, that God is not nearly so shy, right? As he talks about giving in the Bible, he says, this is, this is as much a measurement of the depth of your Christian life as anything else you do. It's a significant piece of it. You can't separate it. You can't say, well, this is what I do with my money and this is what I do with my Christian life. They are, they are linked. So let's keep on talking in our families or your life group, ways to encourage each other to talk about money and giving. I mean, God intends for this to be an area of joy, an area of opportunity. Um, no matter where you are in your giving journey, you can start. If you're not doing anything, you can start. If you're giving significant amounts of money, you can start thinking about where does God want to take this thing? How much deeper does God want to take me into, uh, into him and into the experience of knowing him? So a couple thoughts here as we finish up. Uh, money and giving is an area um, where you have particular challenges, things that are going on in your life and you'd need some help, please let us know. Uh, this, is, this community of people here at Newcastle is full of talented people with all kinds of experience in 
um, in money and in life, and we'd love to help. And so if, if it's something that's hard to wrap your mind around or perhaps you've had some life circumstances that make it really hard, let us know. Let somebody in leadership know. We'll get you connected to somebody um, so, that, so that we can start. Right? God does not expect of you something you do not have. As we've seen, he intends to equip you. He tends to give you the things so that you can give back to him. But it does take, it does take the step of, of wanting to do it. It's not going to happen while you sit on your couch and worry about it. So let's get up. Find some folks to work with and, and make some progress. Um, we did buy a few uh, copies of this, the Generosity Project book, if you're interested in it. They're on the, the table out here in the Resource Center. Um, please take it uh, free of charge uh, as long as you read it. I always say you can have them for free, but you have to commit to read it. Um, and, and if everybody wants one and they run out, please let us know. We'll get some more. It's something I want to put um, in your hands. There are, there's a lot of things we didn't get to, some of the videos we didn't get to, and a lot of, of individual questions where it helps you personally um, sit down and think uh, deeper about it. So thanks for participating in the ADE. I hope that thinking about God's generosity to us works in each of you to inspire you to a, a generous life. My prayer is that he's moved in each of you, in your very individual and specific situation to reveal a, a practical area that you can grow in. So let's pray. Father, we're so grateful. We come here with uh, not much and you speak to us. You say to us that you love us, that you understand where we are, that even if we're in circumstances that are difficult, whether it's because of our own sin or because of something beyond our control, you meet us just right where we are. And we're so grateful for that. So I pray for courage this morning, for wisdom for each of us, that we would look seriously at the reality of our own generosity. We wouldn't compare ourselves to somebody else or, or just be good enough to be better than our neighbor but that we would let your word speak deeply to us, that we'd see the joy that you have before us, that you have called us into of, of this great adventure in this very short life that prepares us for such a long eternity. Thank you. Just run out of words to say. So we praise you. I pray that you would dismiss us this morning with your blessing. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.